good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's a delight to see you today. Everybody delighted to be here? Uh, right. uh, that's at the Germantown campus. At the West campus, I'm going to ask, are you delighted to be here? I can hear the applause in my ear monitor right there. They're, just, they're going nuts. Just sit down. It's okay. It's great. Hey, will you, Germantown, would you welcome the West campus? They're, they're right here with us. And also our online, our online campus, there are people that are literally, wa- yeah, thank you. There are people that are watching from uh, literally all around the world, missionaries and sometimes in situations in closed countries where they cannot have open services. Uh, they're gathering around their TV or around a computer, and they're actually interacting with us via technology, which is a very, very, very cool thing. So we welcome you. And those of you that may be new to Life Church, we're a multi-site church. Uh, and so we, uh, we have a campus in Pewaukee, Brookfield. And so this message here from the Germantown campus is actually streaming live and high def there. And so uh, pre- pretty cool and pretty fun to be able to do that. So it's, it's great to, to leverage technology. Uh, we think that stained glass of the 21st century is video. And so it tells a story and communicates the story of Jesus. It is good to see you. It's good to have you here today. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, we're going to get there in just a minute. Uh, We're going to conclude our series, this discussion that we've been having on the open table. And for those of you that may not have been able to to be here or be a part of those conversations the last couple of weekends, you can go to lifechurchwi.com lifechurchwi.com and you can get the uh, or you can go on the app the Life Church app and you can actually watch the messages there download them video audio whatever you want both it's all free it's all there for you it's just open sourced and we've been talking about this subject of the open table and just to kind of recap for some of you that maybe join us for the very first time uh, today uh, in the first century when Jesus was walking this earth uh, there was a, a part of a philosophy or an ideology about the table. And so the smaller the table that you sat at, um, the, uh, the more exclusive you were, the more important that you were. So the fewer people that sat around the table, the, the more VIP you were. The larger the table that you sat at, the more seats that there were, or if it was an open table, not a closed system like a small table that was just exclusive, but it was open to anybody, the more common you were. Uh, the religious people of the day would have thought themselves to be more spiritual to sit at a very small exclusive table. And they would have looked at people that sat at a large open table as uh, sinners. And they say this in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 5. Jesus uh, basically encounters a tax collector who was considered a sinner in that day. Sorry if you work for the IRS. We love you. Um, but in the first century, this is how they viewed them. And his name was Levi, and he encounters Levi, and, and Jesus changes Levi's life. And so he invites, Levi invites all of his tax collector buddies and others, so some guys that were worse than the tax collectors, and invites them all for this party. So it's, it's a house party. They're all a bunch of sinners. Sinners do what sinners are going to do. You can, you can go there. And Jesus shows up, and the religious establishment that set up very small, closed systems were, were appalled that Jesus would actually show up to an open invitation to, a, to this open table. And Jesus responds to them in verse 32 of Luke chapter 5 and just says, Is it not the sick that need a doctor? I didn't come to call the righteous, Jesus said, to repentance. I came to call the sinners to repentance. And, and so Jesus declares, Look, my mission is about this open table. 
My mission is about reaching people. My mission is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The, the, the mission is John three sixteen. For God so loved, that word so means without strings, without condition, so loved the world, you and me, everybody in the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. So loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus, in verse 17, says, didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Condemnation doesn't come from God. He came into the world to save the world. Salvation is totally different than condemnation. Condemnation tells you what you did wrong and that you should have known better and how stupid can you be. Salvation says, let me help you. Jesus came to say, let me help you. Let me set you free. And so he opens a table. And these religious leaders of the day, they're just perplexed by this. And they watch this. And about, almost two dozen times, not quite, but almost two dozen times in the Gospel of Luke, Luke records Jesus at the table, eating, interacting, in some form or fashion around a table or, or, or that, that is conferred. In that. And, uh, and so the religious leaders of the day in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, they invite Jesus to their own exclusive table. And Jesus accepts the invitation because, again, if you're an open table, you'll go to any table. And he accepts the invitation. And they basically are trying to figure him out. And Jesus begins to tell them, hey, the table that you sit at, it reveals the humility in your life or the lack thereof. It reveals character. The table that you sit in reveals a character of generosity in your life or the lack thereof. It, it reveals that very, very, very quickly, very easily. And, uh, and he really kind of just calls them out on their stuff and basically says, look, it's all about the open table. The kingdom of God is all about an open table. And he communicates that in parables, which were stories with meanings. And so we, we get to today where I want to end our discussion on how do I live an open table lifestyle? How do you walk this out? How do you live this out? I've showed you the, the, the ideology behind it. I've shown you the theology about it. I want to put some shoe leather on it and talk to you about how to have this life change at the open table. How do you live this out? Now, I grew up in church all my life. Maybe you didn't. I did. Sorry. Uh, don't, don't, don't hate me. All right? I grew up in church all my life. And growing up in church a lot of time was like, did anybody ever see Ferris Bueller, the class scene? Ben Stein? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? Anyone? Right? Charlie Brown? The teacher, wah-wah, wah-wah, wah-wah. That's what church was like. The guy would get up and he would talk and tell you how horrible you were and how worthless you were. I'm sure you didn't go to church like that. And, and that could understand that part of it. The rest of it, I didn't understand. And people would leave church and just kind of go like, well, that was deep. Did you understand what he said? No. It was so deep, I didn't even understand it. Wasn't that amazing? And I'm like, no. It was boring. I mean, I, anyhow. So the, I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense. And so they never taught you how. They told you that you were supposed to be holy, but they didn't tell you how. You're supposed to follow Jesus, but how do you do it? You're supposed to, you're supposed to be a light in the world, but how do you do that? So one of the things that I try to do, I'm just a simple guy. I'm not complicated. I'm tr trust me, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, all right? But at the end of the day, I just want to break it down so that, because it's what I need to understand it. So how do you do that? Luke chapter 24, Jesus shows us exactly, he demonstrates for us how to live an open table lifestyle. He takes you from the encounter all the way to the table. Let's look at this. Luke 24, verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about what had just happened. Now let me explain to you what had just happened. Jesus, what had just happened was Jesus had been crucified, died on the cross, Roman soldiers put him in a tomb. It's three days later, and his body is gone. And so these guys are walking seven miles from Jerusalem where this happened to another city. 
They're brokenhearted. They're, downhearted, they're downtrodden. Uh, the Messiah, the hope of the Messiah is gone and dead to them because they can't find the body. Verse 15, as they talked and they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. That's just cool. I mean, Jesus is pretty cool, but this gets to be really cool. And, but they were kept from recognizing him. Isn't that pretty cool? Like, Jesus is kind of there, but they don't really see him. I mean, God's just cool. You just have to admit that. Like, he just, he didn't come up and go, because if it was me, I'd be like, ta-da, here I am. Nail scarred hands, I did it. Can't touch this. I mean, I'd be going off, right? He doesn't do, y'all didn't know I could have some moves, did you? Oh, man. Put me on some Adidas with some fatty laces and some parachute pants, 1980s. Run DMC. Okay, anyhow. Pray for me. Pray for me. My childhood. Anyhow, so, um, so anyhow, he, he doesn't do that. He just kind of walks along. That's seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. That's a long walk. When's the last time you walked seven miles? I, I haven't. Maybe my whole life I don't think I walked seven miles. I mean, I might walk seven miles like in a month. Going to the grocery store, going to the restaurant, going to my car, going back to the office. He's walking seven miles. But they were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing? Together as you walk along. And they stood still and their faces were downcast. He hears, they know, he knows what they're discussing. He's God, right? He's got a transformed body at this point. One of them named Cleopas. Now, can I just stop you for a minute? Y'all read that and you just think, well, that's just spiritual. must have some significant meaning. No, that's just a goofy name. That kid got beat up in elementary school. You know what I'm talking about? Like, who names their child Cleopas? And if your name is Cleopas, I am so sorry. I don't know a Cleopas, but I'm just like, God help him. Really, his parents were not thinking. Cleopas, seriously? Cleopas, one of them, we don't get the other guy's name. That must have really been messed up, right? They were just great friends. Cleopas. All right, so... Ask him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the, the things that have happened here these last couple of days? Now, at that point, he's being a bit sarcastic. I would have sure pulled out a can. You know what I'm saying? If I was Jesus, I would have said, don't know. Man, I'm him. It's about to have that deep voice. It is I. You know, I would have been like that. Not Jesus. He goes, look at verse 19. What things? What things? He was beaten within an inch of his life. He died on a cross, humiliated, suspended between heaven and earth. He died the death of a, of, of a common criminal and put in a, put in a borrowed tomb because there wasn't enough money to, to, to bury him. And now his body is gone, and these two guys think, well, my hope is dead. He went through all of that. I mean, do you, do you understand the tension that's going on? He said, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet and a powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to the to sentence to death, and they crucified him. Look at, look, look at verse 21. But we had hoped, meaning their hope is gone, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, the third day since all this took place, in addition, some of the women amazed, uh, uh, amazed us, and they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. He's dead. I, how many times is it, if God doesn't show up like in flesh, you don't believe him? He does all these things, but yet we, we get this one moment where we don't see him. We can't touch him. Where are you, God? And we just kind of freak out. That's what's going on. And uh, they came and they told us that they'd seen a vision of angels in, who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just the one women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He's dead. Our hope is gone. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish are you and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah. Now, again, why is he reintroducing this theme? 
because he's speaking to their hopelessness. The hopelessness is that they thought Jesus had been the Messiah, and now their hope is gone. He's going to restore their hope, not in the prophets, not in the law, not in the Old Testament, but in the person of the Messiah. Look what he does. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things to enter into glory? I mean, didn't the prophet say this in the Old Testament? And beginning with Moses, all through the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Yet he still hasn't revealed himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. Now, this is pretty cool because they're walking seven miles. That's a long time. I don't know about this. This is a long time. I would have driven a car, but he walked. So he's walking along seven miles, and these guys are stopping at Emmaus. And so Jesus acts. That's what it says. He acts. It's like, psych. He acts like he's going to just keep walking. Hey, guys, see you. He knows what he's going to do, but he just wants to kind of play with these guys a little bit. He still hasn't revealed who he is. Isn't that fun? I mean, he's just playing mind games. I just love it. It's just great. So he, he acts as though he's going to go further in verse 29 but they urged him strongly the king james version says they constrained him which is a word that means they physically grabbed him as he was walking away to pull him back stay with us these are two grown men cleopas i know he's got a messed up name and his friend we don't know what that is i don't know and uh, for for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over so he went in with them now do you know how awkward that moment is these are grown men now, listen, women, you, you have a hard time with this because if you were at a restaurant and you're out with a bunch of friends and girlfriends and, and people together, some, some lady says to the other ladies, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. You want to go to the bathroom with me? Oh, yeah, let's go. And they just kind of gaggle all the way to the bathroom. You've never seen grown men look at another grown man and go, hey, man, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom with me. It doesn't happen. That's weird. You lose major man points on that one. Do you understand? You're going, what's the theological significance of this? These are three grown men that have been walking seven miles. And Cleopas, they grab Jesus and say, hey, you want to have a slumber party? <laughs> I mean, we got some Diet Coke and some Funyuns and some double stuff Oreos. This is going to be a good fun time. Like they're a bunch of junior high girls. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to have a good time. That's a bit awkward. I mean, it's like, feedback, awkward. I mean, it's just one of those moments. But Jesus says, okay, okay. So when he was at the table, verse 30, look at that, he's at the table. Again, it's the open table. With them, he took the bread and he gave things and he broke it and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Verse 32, I love verse 32. It's my favorite of all the whole passage. And they asked each other, this is after Jesus is gone, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road? And he opened the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, it's a light to our, our path. And I just pray, God, these next few moments that you would just help me to adequately take this and apply this to our life in such a way that we'll live the way you live, Jesus. We'll love the way you love. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do you live the lifestyle of the open table? Well, the first thing I want you to see what Jesus does in verse 15 is Jesus draws near. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Jesus draws near. He goes to where these guys are going, Cleopas and his buddy. He goes to where they're going. He, he comes to them. He, he, he engages himself there. And in order to do that, he's got to walk seven miles, which means it's not convenient. It, it's not easy. Now, I know he's the son of God, and I know he can kind of like take himself from one place to another. But at the end of the day, he's having to walk that seven miles. He's having to do that. And there's time, and there's all. But he comes to them. He doesn't require them to come to him. He doesn't mandate them to see him. 
He doesn't say, hey, check with my secretary and see if I have time. He goes directly to them. This is what the gospel is all about, the good news of Jesus Christ. Every person, idol, that's ever claimed to be God in the entire eschaton of time, the message is this. I am great, you as a human are horrible. You make sacrifice and and see if it appeases me, and if it does, then I will let you come to me. The only one who's ever claimed deity, which we know he's the true and living God, that's ever said, no, 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 no. You know what? I love you, even in all of your jacked up sin. I love you, even in all your mess. I love you. And I'll tell you what, I love you so much that even if you accept me or you reject me, before you ever have a chance, I'm going to send my only son to pay the sacrifice. And he's going to pay the sacrifice for you and for anyone. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to come to you. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. I mean, the Hindus believe they have to, they have to go and they have to make sacrifice. And maybe, just maybe, the, 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 the Buddhists believe that they've got to appease and they've got to do all of these things in which to have this self-enlightenment. The Krishnas and, and, and any kind of cult, they, they believe they've got to do all this. But God says, no, 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 no. For God so loved you and I that he sent his only son, that Jesus left the glories of heaven and he made of himself no reputation. And John 1, 1 says that the word became flesh and he dwelt with, uh, with us and among us. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? Because God just loves you and I. That word so means without restraint, without condition. I'm telling you, church, if we as a church, are going to change the world in which we live in, if we as Christ followers are going to change the world in which we live in, if we're going to be the salt and the light that Matthew's Gospel chapter 5 describes, we're going to have to go to the world. They're not going to come to us. They're not going to come to you. They're not going to show up. People aren't going to ring your doorbell and go, hey, you've got the hope of the world of Jesus Christ that lives within you. Could you explain that to me? It just doesn't happen. I mean, nobody does that. People don't, you know, they're not coming to your new shiny building. They're, they're not showing up at the West Campus at your theater. They're, 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 not, they're not just, listen, you've got to go to them. Isn't that, what the, isn't that what the Great Commission says? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go. It's an active verb. It's a present tense. It's, it, it commands you to do something. And the greatest thing about it is it doesn't tell you how. So as long as it's not immoral, illegal, or sinful, hey, it's fair game. Try it. Go into all the world. Go. Go. To every man's world. To every place on this planet. Go. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they've been. Go. And you go to them. That's what Jesus does. And if you're going to live a lifestyle of the open table, you're going to have to go. Because they're not going to come just sit at your table because you put a sign out and say, hey, there's free seats. The second thing Jesus does is he empathizes. He empathizes. Verse 17, 18, and 19. He legitimately cares and he listens. Seven miles he listens. It's not seven miles in a car going 60 miles an hour or seven minutes. He's walking, he's listening. Jesus seeks to understand before he seeks to be understood. What are these things? At any point in time, he could have just like dropped it like it was hot and told them what was going on, but he doesn't. He just listens. He just keeps asking questions. He just kind of peels the onion one layer at a time. Why? Because he knows that these guys are hurting. He knows that their hope is gone. He knows that they, they're, they're depressed. He sees all of that. His emotional intelligence is through the roof. 
And I'm just going to tell you, listening to someone and caring for someone is not condoning their lifestyle and not accepting them. It's just an action of love. And if you're going to earn the right to be heard in somebody's life, you're going to have to understand them before you seek to be understood. But I got the hope of the world and the presence of Jesus Christ and oh, God is coming and Christ is holy and righteousness. I got all that. I do this for a living. You're not going to preach a preacher, all right? You can't con a con, can't preach a preacher. Hallelujah. The things you say under the anointing. I'm just saying to you, they don't care. John Maxwell is right. People don't care about how much you, you know till they know how much you care. So it's just loving people. It's listening to people. The world in which we live in, Many of us as evangelical Christians, we have a hard time with tattoos. And I'm not condoning tattoos. And if you are 16 years of age, you're asking your parents for a tattoo, and they're telling you, no, if you get it, it's sin, you're going to go to hell. Is that good? <laughs> Moms and dads, it's a good time to say amen. All right. Don't, I didn't say if you had a tattoo, you're going to hell. I said if you're 16, you have one, you are. Okay. <laughs> Here's the point. You're going to misquote me on what to, to say. What I'm saying is you see someone that's completely tatted up, they're trying to convey a story to you. Ask them. You see someone that has a lifestyle that's completely different than yours and you're diametrically opposed to, swallow your pride and just simply ask them, how are you doing? What's going on? Your listening and your caring is not, does not equate condoning. It's just love. God doesn't condone our sins, but he loved us when we were yet sinners and he cares for us. Do you understand? Jesus isn't condoning. He, Cleopas and his buddy, they're wrong. Because Jesus is alive. He's standing right there in front of them, but they can't see it yet. He just listens. Why would you do that? Because you've got to earn the right to be heard. We as a church, we have to earn the right to be heard. We have to, earn the, we have to earn the right to serve in this community. We don't get to serve this community. We don't get to serve Waukesha County at the West Campus just because we're here. Who do we think we are? We just serve people, just love people. That's why we do Second Saturdays. That's why, that's, that's why we do things in the community. That's why we're here to volunteer and help in any way we can. Why? Because we're here to serve. Whatever we have, we're here to serve. That's what Jesus did. And if you're going to have an open table lifestyle, you're going to have to serve people. And that means sometimes swallowing your pride. That means sometimes being uncomfortable. That means sometimes, well, even when you've got the truth, you just hold back. Because, pe listen, people know how jacked up they are. You know how messed up you are. You don't need me to tell you. Seriously, you know everything that's wrong with you right now. You don't need me to psychoanalyze you and tell you what's wrong. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not my job. That's why I don't stand up here and say, oh, I can't believe you people. You're going to a devil's hell. You know that. You don't need me to tell you that. You know without God, you're lost like a ball in high weeds. What you do need is you need hope. What's the hope? Let's look at what he does next. Verse 25 to verse 27. He uses scripture to respond. He uses scripture to respond. But he does something completely different with scripture. When you and I respond, this I'm going to talk about me. When I typically respond, it's all about shutting down the argument and answering all the questions. When I was in high school, I was a debater, and we did Lincoln-Douglas style debate. And I love Lincoln-Douglas because the, the deal was it was all about how fast I could regurgitate facts and figures to you, or the opponent, to be able to shut you down. And if I could give the spread wide enough and deep enough and statistical information, and I can, go pre and I can speak pretty fast. That's part of my problem. Um, yeah, I have lots, but that's one of them. So I can do that. You don't have enough time in your rebuttal to rebut all of my arguments, and I win the argument. I'm also pretty good speaking-wise, and so I can articulate myself pretty, pretty, pretty fast and pretty effectively in that way. 
And sometimes that's how we, how we treat people. When, 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 when all the time it's time for us to respond, we want to say, okay, now let me tell you why you're wrong. Let's start right there. And let me tell you why I'm right. Let's start right there. That's what we do. And then we just throw a bunch of statistical facts and figures, and we spit it out so fast. I mean, da 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 da, da like an automatic weapon to the point that they just finally go, I, I give up. And they don't give up to serve Jesus. They just give up because they just, they don't want to talk to you anymore. The, the, the force fields have just gone up. I mean, it's just like, hey, I'm done. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to do whatever. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't go, now look, guys, you need to have some spiritual maturity, Cleopas. I know you got a jacked up name and you probably got beat up in school and made fun of and that kind of a deal. But let me help you. You need to have a little spiritual maturity here. Don't you remember this? And don't you remember this? In Sunday school, they said this. I mean, come on, guys. I, I, you know, I mean, seriously, like, like you, you, you know, you've been living in Jerusalem. I mean, what, I mean, you're, you're acting like a bunch of babies. You know, he doesn't say that. He, he, he doesn't go to, to the rules. You know, the Old Testament says this and this and this, and you don't have enough faith and you don't even deserve God. And I mean, if God really did this for you, I mean, you don't even deserve it. Look at you. Look how you're acting. Look how pitiful you are. Here, just take out a mirror and just look how ugly you are. I mean, just look at, look at how bad he doesn't. We do this with people. He, he doesn't throw, he doesn't throw the Bible at them. He doesn't take a Thompson chain reference Bible and just bang them upside the head. What does he do? Their issue is, is that their hope for the Messiah was tied up in Jesus. What does he do? He begins to resurrect their hope. And whom? The person of Jesus. He doesn't point to chapter and verse. He doesn't point to rules and regulations. That'll all come later. What does he do? He points to the person of Jesus. And I'm telling you, the way Jesus uses Scripture is the way we should use Scripture. Not to explain and defend how right we are, like we're in some debate. Not to explain and to try to, uh, to use apologetics to be able to defend the faith. God doesn't need any help defending it. What we need to do is just simply say, here, I'm just going to tell you my experience. The Bible says this is what Jesus will do for you, and this is what he did for me. The Bible says this is who Jesus is, and this is what he was for me. The Bible says that this is... This is this is what he was for me. Doesn't the Bible say that, da, 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 and this is what he, they point to the person of Jesus. And I'm telling you, if we're going to make a dent in this world, we have to point them to Jesus. They don't need to hear another sermon. They don't need to meet another preacher. They don't need to hear another song. They don't need to, they don't need to go through another Bible course. They need to know who Jesus is. The transformative person of who Jesus is will change their life. The very introduction to the person of Jesus will come into their heart and come into their life. And, and, and that's the reality. That's how he uses Jesus. And I, can, I see it right now in some of your faces. You kind of go, well, you're the pastor. You've got this theology degree and, and all of this kind of stuff. And, and so it must be really easy for you to kind of take the scriptures and kind of parlay it in. I'm going to tell you, you try this. Next time you're on a plane going somewhere, or you're, you're meeting someone, and they say, what do you do for a living? Try this out. Just try it out. It'll be fun. Just try it out. Just go, I'm a pastor. I mean, the force fields go up. Because they don't want to talk to you. That, that's the one question I, I, I know this sounds bad. I hate to ask. Because all of a sudden, they either feel like they're in a, in, in, a, in a confessional booth, and they start telling me everything. And I just go, no, no, oh, no, please don't. Oh, whoa, man, you are jacked up. No, don't tell me that. I don't, I don't, right? I mean, they just go off. They go silent, like you are weird, which is most of the time. And occasionally, I've had a few people just cuss me. Like, I am everything that's wrong with the world. You know, you narrow-minded, bigoted, self-righteous, whoa, 
I will get off this plane and full, pull a full can out on you. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I don't say that. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to confess my sins and my faults to you. That's what James said. That's what I feel like doing. No, it's not any easier. It's actually probably easier for you than it is for me. But don't go back bashing them with the Bible and tell them how wrong they are in Scripture. It's not our job to clean the fish. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But just simply to point to the person of Jesus. It's an appropriate amount of light. Verse 29 tells us the next thing that happened. They constrained Jesus. They urged Jesus to stay. This is important. Because after you draw near to someone, after you empathize with where they are, after you point to the person of Jesus, it's up to them whether they want to invite you for further on the conversation. It's up to them whether they want to know more. You don't push it beyond that. Jesus has found an appropriate time to keep walking. That's why he just kept walking. If these guys want to know more, I'll come in. But if they don't, I'm just going to keep walking and I'll go to my next destination. Time's up. Do you want to know more? Time's up. Do you want to? When was the last time you finished your Bible lesson or your encounter like that with someone and they constrained you for more? They said, no, 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 please don't go. Please don't go. Please don't go. We, we have dinner. Hey, please, please keep talking. Can I just help you with this? None of you do this to me. I preach my guts out on a weekend, and afterwards, nobody goes, oh, that was so great. Will you talk longer? <laughs> we never get that on a communication card. Hey, what did you like about Life Church? The pastor preached too short. That'd probably be something good to say. Some of you are going, is he serious right now? No, I'm just jacking with you because it's fun. I've had three people invite me to lunch already today. This is, and so one guy said, you're just fishing for free lunch. You're right. That's exactly what I'm doing. I, I, want, I like to eat for free, and I eat a lot. All right? So I'm just saying... When you really do this right, they're going to ask for more. And that's what happens in your life. That's what happens. People will say, man, there's something about you. Man, there's something. You, you have this, it's this essence. It's, this, it's Jesus. It's the Jesus that's in you. And they want to know more and they want to see more. And you let them ask for more. You don't push more. Don't cram it down their throat because people can only handle so much. Depends upon where they are. They have to process it. They have to think about it. They have to take it in bite-sized steps. And look at what Jesus does. He accepts the invitation to their table. That's the next thing he does. He accepts the invitation to the table. When someone far away from God invites you to come to their table, don't act self-righteous on them. Accept it. Jesus doesn't say, well, hey, guys, that's not like my table. Why don't you come to my table? Hey, that's not my environment. Why don't you come into my environment? No, he steps into theirs. He steps into their environment. Is it awkward? Sure. Are there things that you're a little bit like, oh, I wish you would say, oh, I, I don't, are there times you feel uncomfortable? For sure. But he steps into their environment. Why? Because that's the whole concept of the open table. Go into every man's world and share the love of Jesus Christ. When was the last time that you in a relationship, that people invited you far away from God, invited you to come to their party, invited you to come to their table, not because you were morally bankrupt, not because you dealt with their sinful activities, not because you drank and smoked and cussed and could, and could tell the dirtiest jokes, not because of any of that stuff, but simply because there was a the life of Jesus Christ that's in you, that you were fun. Sometimes we as Christians, some of the spiritual thing we can do is just be fun. Some of you people, the people look at you and go, do I want to trade my sorry life for yours? No, because you don't even look like you're happy. Right? You heard the old preacher say, you look like you've been drowning in prune juice. Just all shriveled up. Just look like, does that hurt? Are you constipated? What's going on? Like, is something wrong? Seriously. I could take most of you to a concert of your favorite band. You would be like buck wild going to town. But you come to church and, oh 
bless God. Don't talk to me about the bass. I saw you at that concert. Come on, holla. I'm just saying. There's something that sometimes that if we're going to receive an invitation, we have to have the life of God in us. I'm not telling you to be sinful. I'm not telling you to sin. No. What I'm saying to you is if there's something about you that's contagious. There's something about you that's, that, that's inviting. You're, you're, you know, there's something about you that's life-giving. And that's it. And even as a church, it's one of the things that we do is to be life-giving. Who says you can't laugh in church? Show me a chapter and verse in that, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I will quit saying anything funny. I'll be the boring. Show me where you have to be boring to preach. I'll be the boringest preacher you ever met. It's not there. Actually, I think to be boring in church as a pastor is a sin. I think a lot of pastors are going to stand before God, and he's going to go, seriously, you represented me to the world? You could have just smiled and done better than what you did. They accept, Jesus accepts their invitation at their table, and he goes right to where they are. And it's at the table that Jesus reveals who he is. It's interesting that he waits to the table. Verse 30 and 31, he reveals who he is at the table. After they've invited him for more, after they've invited him to the table, because now, that, now he's, at the, he's in the inner sanctum right here. He's, a, he's, he's on the inside loop with Cleopas and his buddy. That's when he reveals who he is. Why does he wait till then? Why does he walk seven miles? Why does he act like he's going to keep walking? Why does he let them invite him in? Why does he accept the invitation? Why does he wait till that point before he reveals who he is? Because that's his message. It's all about the table. Because the table represents relationship. The table represents a God who's willing to come to you and love you right where you are and listen to your cries and your hurts and your pains and not beat you up, but show you salvation through the person of Jesus Christ. And at the table, begin to break the bread of life and fill you with something that can only fill you, which is him. I love their response. I love their response. Did not our hearts burn within us? Think about it. Jesus is at the table, and the Bible says, and he took the bread, and he broke it. What's important about that? They're seeing his hands, and all of a sudden the light goes off. Those nail scars, they know those hands. Those were the hands that calmed the winds and the waves. Those were the hands that said, peace be still. Those are the hands that touched blind Bartimaeus. Those were the hands that lifted up the woman who was caught in adultery. Those were the hands that assisted the Samaritan woman at the well when nobody was there that day. Those were the hands that were lifted unto the heavens. Those were the hands that were beaten. Those were the hands that were cuffed. Those were the hands that carried the cross. Those were the hands that were nailed. And isn't it interesting that he uses the bread, which symbolizes his body? And he's broken. And in that instance, as he serves them, they realize we've been in the presence of God. The very next time, excuse me, the very last time he reveals him, the only other time that Luke tells us that he really reveals who he is and why he came was in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and, the, and his apostles or his disciples reclined at the table. Again, this is life's message. 
And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, before I die on the cross. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 19. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. Just like he did with Cleopas. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a covenant. It's a new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is where this passage, where we get the tradition of the sacrament of communion from. That we remember Jesus until he returns. And isn't that what communion is? Is the ultimate open table experience? See, I'm telling you, he did this from the very beginning. The religious leaders, it was a closed table. Jesus said, no, whoever calls on my name is saved. This table is so big, anybody can sit around it. This table is so broad, anybody can come to it. It doesn't matter your, your economic status. It doesn't matter your social status. Anyone. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, because my burden is e- my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Cast your cares on me. Come to my table. Isn't that what communion is? Well, we sit at his table, the ultimate open table, and we receive life. So here's what we're going to do today to end this series and to end this message. At the Germantown campus and at the West campus. The ushers are going to begin to prepare themselves. Even at the West Campus, the ushers are going to begin to prepare themselves. At the Germantown Campus, they're going to begin to prepare. And what we're going to do, hundreds of us, we're going to leverage technology and we're going to take communion together. Online, if you're watching online right now, you've got time to leave your your family room or leave the computer and go to your kitchen and get some juice and and get some bread and, and come back. You've got a few minutes to come back and take this together. All around the world, we're going to leverage this technology. And if you're doing this online, please email us. Let us know about the experience. Because this is it, folks. We think of communion as being some little activity that we do. No, no, no. We remember Christ. What do we remember? We remember that he came for everybody. That he died for everybody. That his salvation is for everybody. We remember that God so loved you and I that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that if we believe on him, we'll not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And so today we sit at his table, the ultimate open table, and we receive. So what we're going to do in just a minute, we're going to wait on you. We're going to serve you these elements of the cup and of the bread. And I'm going to ask that you hold on to those, and I'll come back and, uh, here at the, at, the, uh, at the Germantown campus, at the West campus. Uh, Pastor Danny's going to come, and uh, we're going to hold on to these elements, and we're going to take these together. At Life Church, we serve open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of this church or any church. As long as you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and into your life and be your Lord and your Savior. That's all we ask. I've been giving you this verse, Revelation 3.20, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Maybe you're here today and you sense that knocking of Jesus on the door of your heart. And you go, man, I'm far away from God. In these next few moments, as the band begins to play, just right where you are, to say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. 
I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me my sins, my mistakes, my faults, my failures. Just be, I decide to follow you today, Jesus. However you want to say that. And what happens when you say that is you come in a new life in Jesus Christ. You become saved. You, you, Jesus saves you from your sin and from yourself. And if you do that today, today's your very first communion. See, first communion is not about an age. It's not about a rite of passage. First communion is the very first time that you take this cup and that you eat of this bread and you celebrate and you remember what he did after you've given your life to him. That's what it's all about. So today, I'm going to pray, and then the ushers at both campuses are going to begin to distribute these elements, and I'm going to ask you to hold on to them, and when we all receive them together, we'll all come back together and take together. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that I sense in this place, for the Holy Spirit that literally right now is through, through internet is going around the world. And I just pray, God, today for those that call upon you and give their life to you, I just pray in the Jesus' name that you would just show up. And I just pray, Lord, these next few moments, as we just, we just solemnly quiet our hearts before you, Lord, that we search our own hearts and just make sure that our hearts are right with you. And if we have any sin, that we just confess it right in those moments, that you, Lord, will show up. And we thank you for this ultimate open table experience in Jesus' name. Amen.